Well, good morning, Cross Point. Good morning to all of our campuses. Good morning to uh, our TV viewing audience, to those who are watching online. We want to welcome you to our service today. I want to say a happy Father's Day to all of the dads uh, out there. Uh, being a dad, uh, just is just such a special day for me. I'm thankful for the three wonderful sons that God has given me. And uh, so I hope those of you whose dads are still living, You'll get to spend some time with them and let them know how much you love them and appreciate them. So to all you dads, I hope it's a great day for you. When I was in high school, I, I had an English teacher, and his name was Dr. Walters, uh, not no longer living. He was a, kind of a different kind of a guy, but he was, he was enamored with Shakespeare. He just absolutely loved Shakespeare, and we had to read several plays of William Shakespeare. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know about you, I, I'm either too dumb to understand Shakespeare or I'm too lazy to try. Uh, I, I just don't read Shakespeare. You know, I'm more of an ESPN kind of a guy. Uh, but, but you may be familiar with this famous lament of, of Lady Macbeth. And if you don't know about the play, it, it, let me just kind of set up the plot. In, in Macbeth, there is a nobleman named Macbeth. And his wife, Lady Macbeth, persuades him to murder King Duncan and to seize the throne. Well, after he commits the murder, Lady Macbeth takes the blood of the king and, and smears it on some sleeping guards to implicate them in the murder. Well, later on, the plot focuses like a laser beam on Lady Macbeth, and night after night, she's walking in her sleep. She's staring at her hands. The guilt is overwhelming her. She can't get over what she's done. And you may remember, she keeps pleading out these famous words, out I'll just say blank spot. Out I say, here's the smell of the blood still. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Oh, oh, oh. It's really kind of sad. I mean, Lady Macbeth is suffering from a common illness for which there is no human cure. Uh, the reason why there is no human cure is because we fail to determine the cause. Because the cause of all guilt is sin Sin is the wound and guilt is the infection. If you're on a guilt trip today, if you have a guilty conscience, if there's something in your life that's not right, you need to understand that it's not because you made a mistake, it's not because of poor judgment, it's because of sin. Sin is the wound, guilt is the infection. And that's why there's only one cure for guilt. And frankly, the best doctors, the best surgeons, the best psychiatrists, the best counselors, the best psychologists, the best advisors, and the best medicines in all of the world cannot cure this illness. There's one cure for guilt, only one, only one that works, and that is forgiveness. And there's only one source of forgiveness, and that's God. I, I was, um, the other day, I got a text from a, a pastor friend of mine. Pastor's a great big church out in Texas. And uh, I, I was eating in a restaurant the other night, one of our real fine restaurants here where our church members took us out. And I took a picture of this big piece of cheesecake. They ordered dessert. I mean, this thing is huge. It was probably weighed about three pounds. And, uh, uh, you know, over the last year or so, I've lost about 25 pounds. And the way I did it, I realized that diet, by the way, diets don't work. You do know that, Right. You know, 90% of the people who go on a diet and lose weight gain it back because what you do to lose it, you got to do to keep it, and people don't want to do that. So I realized about a year and a half ago, I needed to make a lifestyle change, not a diet. And so I just, people ask me all the time. In fact, I was, just got back from the convention, and people are asking me, man, how much weight have you lost in the last year? And I said, well, I've lost about 25. How did you do it? And I said, well, I just cut out three things. You know, I, I don't eat any more bread. I don't eat any more sweets, and I don't eat any more fried food. 
Now, I'm, I'm deeply depressed and I cry all the time, but I've <laughs> lost weight. So, uh, you know, so, the, so they ordered this cheesecake. Well, I just tweeted out and I said, this is one of the things I can't eat anymore because, uh, you know, of the weight that I've lost. This is how I lost the weight. So I had a, uh, one of my pastor's friends text me and said, man, how did you do it? And I shared this with him. And because it's, again, diets don't work. And you know, one of the things you'll notice if you go to a bookstore, there's always a new book every year on a new diet. You know, this is the diet that works. Go on this diet and you know, you'll lose weight and you'll, you'll keep it off. Well, a big diet fad today is known as the detox diet. How many of you are familiar with the detox diet? Okay, some of you are. Maybe some of you have tried it. All right, I've, I've read enough about it. I ain't doing it. But here's the, here's the point. So some of the more popular detox diets are, there's one called the Blueprint Cleanse. One's called the Master Cleanse. One's called the Clean Program. And if you'll watch, there are a lot of these Hollywood celebrities, they, they boast about their ability to detoxify the body and, and to aid weight loss. But there's a big debate out there over whether or not these debate, these detox diets really work. Because our bodies have two organs that God gave us. One's called a liver and one is called a kidney. And if your liver is healthy and your kidneys are healthy, they do the job that your body needs to detoxify your body on a daily basis. So our bodies are so divinely designed that this natural cleansing happens automatically. The problem is when we insert a toxin into our bodies like say alcohol or cocaine, or nicotine, and, and you do it excessively, then we require detox. Now, detoxification is simply the process of allowing the body to rid itself of a drug while managing the symptoms of withdrawal. So here's what I want you to understand. When you read God's word, you, you begin to understand sin in kind of a toxic kind of a way. Sin is a spiritual toxin. And when you sin, it poisons your heart and it poisons poisons your mind. It infuses the bloodstream of your soul with guilt. Now, the problem is on your own, you can't get rid of this guilt. There's no self-detoxifying program to get sin out of your heart and to get sin out of your soul and to get sin out of your mind. Sin is an inside job that requires outside healing. Sin is a problem from within that requires forgiveness from above. So we're in a series, if you're visiting for the first time today, that you may not know this, but a couple weeks ago, we started a series called Playlist. If you know anything about iPads, iPhones, computers, whatever, today people have playlists. I have different playlists on, on my phone. And a playlist is a digital collection of music that you can organize different genres. You can, you know, country music here, rock and roll here, classical here, you know, rhythm and blues here. You, you can organize different playlists and you can listen to music at your leisure and listen to whatever you want to. So if you're in a country mood, you listen to the country music. If you're in a kind of a rhythm and blues, you listen to rhythm and blues. If you, know, if you work out to rock and roll, you can listen to rock and roll. Well, God, believe it or not, left a playlist of Psalms in the Bible, they're called Psalms. When you read a Psalm, you're actually reading a song. It's kind of hard for us to understand, but 3,000 years ago, Psalms were not read, Psalms were sung. They were put to music. David was a prolific songwriter. Solomon was a prolific songwriter. And Psalms are heavenly truths that are put to earthly music. 
Now, just to kind of give you a review, we're kind of back in the same song that we were listening to last week because it really is a song that was written in two major parts. So if you brought a copy of God's Word, we're looking at song number or Psalm number 51. Now, if you have a, a Bible, it's really easy to find Psalms right in the middle of your Bible, okay? Not hard to find, or you can, you know, Google is your friend. Google Psalm 51 and you'll find it. Let me tell you, kind of give you a background of what's going on. Last week, we were talking about the fact that David describes the terrible effects of what we call sin sickness. There's no sickness like sin sickness. And here's how David got sin sickness. David had a one-night stand with a woman named Bathsheba, literally a one-night stand. Uh, Her husband was off to war. She gets pregnant because of this one-night stand. David tries to cover up his sin by bringing the husband back home, hoping the husband will sleep with her and thereby they will never know, you know, the difference. He won't know the difference. But being a noble man, her husband Uriah refused to to sleep with his wife. And so David felt like he had no recourse and so he has Uriah murdered. Then he marries this widow and they have a child and David thinks, you know, they're all good to go. David lives with this for about a year. Then a prophet named Nathan goes to David and confronts David with his sin. When Nathan confronts David with his sin, God convicts David of his sin. David now comes to grips with what he has done. And it was out of that experience that David wrote song or Psalm number 51. And here's what the song is about. In this song, David is answering a question that once you become a follower of God or once you know you need God, you're gonna ask yourself more than, many, more than one time as you go through life. Here's the question David's answering in this song. When you're confronted and you're caught and you're convicted of sin in your life and you no longer want to run from God, you want to run to God, what do you do? You're confronted, you're convicted, you did it, you know you did it, you know you can't hide it anymore, you're tired of running from God, you wanna run to God, okay, what do you do? Well, here's the good news. David tells us in this song, anytime you're ready, you can literally wave bye-bye to guilt. You can say goodbye to guilt. There's an off-ramp. You can get off the guilt trip anytime you want to if you will follow David's advice. And David says you need to ask God to do four simple things. So if you're on a guilt trip or you've been on a guilt trip or one day you get on a guilt trip, you might want to remember these four things. You might want to jot these down, okay? Number one, first thing you ought to tell God is this. God, release me from my guilt. First thing, God, release me from my guilt. Now, too often when we do something wrong that puts us on this proverbial guilt trip, instead of running to God and confessing our sin, what do we do? We run from God, we try to cover our sin. It's just kind of a natural thing. And you know what that does? That just makes the problem worse. Because what you need to learn, it's a hard lesson, but it's true, and that is the first step of getting released from guilt and dealing with guilt is an honest confession. So listen to what David says in verses three and four of this psalm. David said, look, I know my transgression. You know, know, Nathan, I knew this before you told me. You didn't tell me anything new. I've been living with this for a year. I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Now he's talking to God. Against you, 
You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge. David said, the only knife that is sharp enough to lance the boil of sin and get rid of the infection of guilt is the knife of confession. Now, let me just go ahead and kind of help you with something here. There is one thing, I want you to hear this. There is absolutely one thing God will never accept for your sin. An excuse. God will never accept it. There is no alibi out of your sin. You cannot alibi your way out of it. Well, you know, I'm just like my dad. Or my, my mother drove me nuts. Or if you had my brother, you would have killed him too. Okay, no, there's no way to alibi your way out of this sin. It just makes the pain of sin worse and it makes the infection of a guilty conscience worse. Now, you, you know, here's the question. Why is that? Why is it when we try to run from our sin, the guilt gets worse? Why is it when we try to hide our sin, the guilt gets worse? Here's why. When we try to cover our sin, God will uncover it, but when we uncover our sin, God will cover it. That sounds, that sounds counterintuitive, but it's true. When we try to cover our sin, God says, no, I'll uncover it. But when we uncover our sin, God says, okay, now I will cover it. But it starts with confession. I was reading the other day about two young boys and they got into this big theological, theological debate and discussion about God in the Bible. Well, one boy was a, a Catholic and, and one boy was a Protestant. Now, as you know, Catholics, they, they practice confession to priests. You know, they go to the priest and they confess all their sins. So these kids are arguing back and forth about things and that frankly, they didn't really understand. And so the Catholic kid would say, well, my, my priest says this. And then the Protestant kid, he'd fire back and he'd say, well, my pastor says this. And they went at it, I mean, back and forth about, well, my priest says this. Well, my pastor says this. Well, after a lot of back and forth, the Catholic kid finally said, well, I'll tell you something. My priest knows more than your pastor. And the Protestant kid said, well, he ought to. You tell him everything. Now, the truth is we ought to tell God Everything, because God already knows everything. When, listen, when you confess your sin to God, you're not giving God news. You're not informing God of anything. You're telling, what God, telling God what God already knows. And what David is trying to let us understand is you've got to take sin seriously. Sin is not a misdemeanor. It is a felony. It is not a cold. It is a cancer. As a matter of fact, I want you to listen to this. David uses three words to describe sin. Diddy uses three words to describe what he needs for his sin. So I'm gonna read this slowly and carefully. Listen to what David says. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Now watch, listen to the language David uses. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Now, David uses three different words for what we call a mistake, what we call a misjudgment, what, what we call kind of a, a, a failure. David uses three words for when we do wrong. He uses the word transgression. That word means to cross a forbidden boundary, to rebel against the law. He uses the word iniquity. That means perversity. Now, because if you think about it, you know, it really is perverse to think you can sin and get away with it. If there's a God in heaven, 
For you to think you could do anything wrong, doesn't matter if you do it under the cover of night, doesn't matter if you do it out in the desert, nobody's watching. If there's a God in heaven, for you to think you can sin and get away with it, if there's a God in heaven, that's kind of perverse. And then he uses the word sin. You know, that word literally means to miss the mark. In other words, sin is missing the mark of what God wants for you and what is best for you. Now, I want you to notice something. He doesn't call sin a mistake. He doesn't call it a misjudgment. He doesn't call it a misfortune. He calls it what God calls it. He said, God, I know what you think of it. It is a sin. It is an iniquity. It is a transgression. That's what the word confess means. It means to agree with. That's what the word means in, in, the, in the original language. To say the same thing as to agree with. He says, God, first of all, I know what I've got to do. I've got to call what I've done what you call what I've done. I cannot put any kind of a fancy name on it. So let me give you an example. Let me help you. It is not an affair. It's adultery. It's not fudging the figures. It's lying. It's not borrowing something indefinitely. It's stealing. You call it what God calls it. Now, to get rid of this takes radical surgery. So what does God ask for? Well, listen, let's go back and listen to what he says. He says, blot out my transgressions. Now, why did he say that? Because sin leaves a record. And David wants the record wiped clean. By the way, that word blot out, it literally refers to removing the writing from a book or an indictment from a file. Because every time you sin, you may forget about it. God doesn't. You may not think about it, but God will bring it back to your mind. You may not realize it, but God's got a file cabinet full and it's in that file cabinet. Sin leaves a record, it leaves a file, it leaves a memory that only God can remove. And the only thing David could do was to go to the only one that could wipe the slate clean and that was God. So he says, God, first of all, would you just wipe the record clean? Would you take the, the, this, this sin out of my file? Would you blot out my transgression? Then he says, wash away all my iniquity. We said this last week. If, if, and this is a big if, if you're truly a follower of God, Sin won't just make you feel guilty. It will make you feel dirty. It will make you feel unclean. That's what sin does to a healthy conscience. It makes you feel filthy and dirty. Like the prodigal son, you know you're in the pig pen of life and you literally want to take a spiritual shower. You want to come clean so you will be clean. And that's why David goes on to say, cleanse me from my sin. That word cleanse means Purge, it means, literally means, descend me. In other words, David says, God, you know what I need? I need nothing less than a spiritual detox. I, I've got this sin that has infected me with guilt in my soul, and the only way it will come out of the bloodstream of my heart, you've got to literally detoxify me from my sin because that's the only thing that will release us from our guilt. So David says, First thing you need to say to God, you're on that guilt trip. First thing, you go to God and you say, God, would you release me from my guilt? Now, once you say that to God, you make a second request. You say, God, would you renew me by your grace? Would you release me from my guilt? Then, would you renew me by your 
grace. Now, I want you to show you something. David takes a longer, bigger, deeper step in his forgiving process than most of us ever take. And it's the reason why, you know, I've had people come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I don't understand why. Why do I keep committing the same sin over and over and over? You know, I commit the sin, I confess, I ask forgiveness. I say I won't do it again, I do it again. I confess, I ask forgiveness, I say I won't do it again, I do it all over again. Why is it that we keep repeating this process over and over and over? Here's why. When we do something wrong, Nobody has to tell you you need forgiveness. You, you instinctively know, man, I, I've got to make this right. I've got to get forgiveness. But David realized something we don't realize a lot of times. He realized that forgiveness was not the only need that he had. Because even though he sinned physically, right? He committed adultery. Even though he sinned with his hands, the problem was not in his hands. The problem was in his heart. Because you do remember why we all sin. You remember David said, I was born in iniquity. I was conceived in sin. We were all, we're all born sinners. You know why people do what they do? Because they are what they are. People are sinners, not because they sin. They sin because they are sinners. And David says, I don't want to just deal with the symptoms of my problem. That's what we do too often. We deal with the symptom. God says, David says, no, I don't want to deal with the symptom. I want to deal with the cause. So in other words, here's what David said. He sinned. He's done wrong. He knows he's done wrong. He goes to God and he says, God, would you please forgive me? Would you wipe the slate clean? And God says, yes, David, I'll wipe the slate clean. But then David, the light comes on and David says, wait a minute. I don't just need pardon. I need purity. I, 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 you know, I, I need to be really, truly right. I don't just need to be cleared of my sin. I need to be cleansed from my sin. So look at what David says next. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, David realizes that guilt's not like a, a fungus on the surface of the skin. You just kind of scrape it off. Guilt's not something that you cure with a, with a home remedy. It takes a heart remedy. It takes radical surgery. It takes a spiritual heart transplant. It takes a miracle. By the way, that word create is exactly the same word that is used in the book of Genesis to describe the creation of the world. It literally means to create something out of nothing. And every time God forgives us and every time God cleans us, that's really what he's doing. There's nothing in us except sin. And God says, you know what? You've got sin. There's nothing else to work with. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remove your sin and out of absolutely nothing that's left, I'm going to create in you a brand new heart. Because David knows that the heart of his problem is the problem of his heart. I need a new heart. And you don't get that at a store. They don't stock those at the hospital. It's not a prescription that your pharmacist can fill. And see, what we don't realize is when we sin, we don't need a minor repair job. We need a complete spiritual overhaul because our problem is greater than our individual sins. Our problem is sin. And see, here's why we keep doing the same thing over and over and over. We keep dealing with what we've done. That'll never solve the problem. You've got to deal with what you are before you, not just what you've done. You've got to deal with what you are. 
So when we ask God to create in us a new heart and renew a steadfast spirit, here's what we're really saying. God, I don't want to just be changed from the outside in. I want to be changed from the inside out. That's why if you're addicted to pornography or drugs or alcohol or a bad temper or selfishness or greed or jealousy or bitterness or lust or materialism, I just want to just go ahead and tell you because you've already learned this before, right? New Year's resolutions never work. Never. They don't work. They don't even last. Most of them don't even last New Year's Day. You know why? Because New Year resolutions, without the power of God, without the forgiveness of God, without the purity of God, they will always be totally worthless and powerless. What we need is for God to renew us by His grace. So David goes to God and he says, God, would you release me from my guilt? Would you just blot out my transgressions? God, would you renew me by your grace? Would you create within me a clean heart, a new heart, and a steadfast spirit? Then he says a third thing. Now, God, would you revive me for your glory? Would you revive me for your glory? Would you renew me by your grace? And would you revive me for your glory? Because here's the, here's, here's the trick. We're all tempted, right? Everybody's tempted. I mean, let me ask you, you don't have to, you have to answer. I know because I, I, I did it. How many of you have said, I'm going to lose weight this year? And it lasts till the first piece of cheesecake. It lasts till the first piece of apple pie. It lasts until the first, until the first box of M&M peanuts, right? Why is that? You know, so you say, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Well, how do I really know I can fight temptation and I can beat it? Because here's something we all, we've all learned, right? It's one thing to be free from guilt. We can all get free from guilt. It's another thing to fight temptation. So listen to how the song continues. David says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, if you think about it, that's kind of a strange statement because, in fact, it's kind of frightening because a, a, no true believer wants to lose the presence of God. No true believer wants to lose the Holy Spirit in their lives. So, so what is David referring to? Why did he even say that? Lord, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Here's what, here's, here's what David was getting at. We need two things if we're going to live the life that God wants us to live and if we're going to be the persons that God wants us to be and if we're going to do the things that God wants us to do. We need two things. Without these two things, you'll not be what you ought to be. You'll not do what you ought to do and you will not live the way you ought to live. We need God's presence and we need God's power. We need God's presence and we need God's power. Now, let me, let me kind of help some of you with something. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have shared the gospel with someone, that I've told someone how to become a Christian, that I've told someone how they can have their sins forgiven, how they can receive eternal life because Jesus Christ died on the cross. He came back from the dead. He is the only one that can save them and he will save them. I cannot tell you the number of times I've shared. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna give you now the number one excuse people give me why they refuse Jesus. It's the number one. By far and away, this is the number one reason. You ready? 
I'll share the gospel. I'll share with people. I mean, it's so simple, so easy. You know, just go to God. Just do what David did. Hey, I'm a sinner. Would you release me from my guilt? You know, would you renew me by your spirit? All that, you know, all that stuff, I tell them. And then I'll get to them. I'll say, would you like to do that? And they'll say, no. And I'll say, well, why not? Number one reason I've been given, far and away, head and shoulders, number one reason. You know what they'll say? Oh, I could never live up to that. I, 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 I could never do that. I, I mean, I know me. I'd, I'd kind of go back to, you know, doing the same thing. I, I could never live, never live the Christian life. I could never live up to what I know you're asking me to do. Now, let me just give you, if some of you are here and you're listening to me or you're listening right now uh, in, in another venue and you're saying, man, that's me. You know, I've never become a Christian because I know deep down I'll never, I could never do it. It wouldn't last. I can't live up to the Christian life. I'll never make it, you know, never make it last. I know that. I, I want to give you some discouraging news and I want to give you some encouraging news, okay? Here's the discouraging news. The discouraging news is you're absolutely right. You can't live up to the Christian life. You can't keep what the laws that God demands. You cannot live the Christian life alone. You cannot come clean, you cannot be clean, and you cannot stay clean on your own. Now you say, boy, I knew it. I knew I was right. That is so discouraging. Okay, now here's the encouraging news. You don't have to. And God never expects you to. You don't have to, and God never expects you to. You know why? Because the Christian life, listen to me, the Christian life is not you living for God. The Christian life is God living through you. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you immediately get two things in your life. Number one, you get the presence of God the Father beside you, and number two, you get the power of God the Spirit inside you. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me tell you what I know you've got right now. When you get up in the morning, you've got the presence of the Father beside you, and you've got the power of the Spirit inside you. Everywhere you go, you've got the presence of the Father beside you. You've got the power of the Spirit inside you. See, we know we can live a life of purity, but not because of our performance, because yes, you're right, we will fail every single time. Let me tell you something. The fail rate of trying to live the Christian life on your own is 100%. Can't be done, won't be done. Nobody outside of Jesus has ever done it. But we know we can live a life of purity, not because of our performance, but because of God's presence and God's power. So that's why David says, Lord, don't cast me away from your presence. Walk beside me. Don't, don't, don't let your Holy Spirit depart from me. Put your spirit within me because that's all anybody has to live the godly Christian life and that's, that's all anybody needs. I've said this to you many times before. One of my best friends, you serve on my staff. He said, if there's anything good about me, it's that Jesus lives in me. Let me tell you something. I got news for some of you folks out there with all respect and you think, I'm a pretty good person. If there is anything good about you, it's that Jesus lives in you. And if Jesus doesn't live in you, there is nothing good about you. So he says, Lord, would you revive me for your glory? And then finally, he makes one last request, which if you think about it, makes sense. He says, restore me to your gladness. Restore me to your gladness. Now, here's the question. You're on a guilt trip. 
and you want to get off. And you tried it your way and it didn't work. And by the way, it doesn't work and it's never going to work. So you decide, okay, I'm going to try it God's way. I'm going to try it David's way. So I'm going to go to God and I'm going to do all, everything that David's told me to do, I'm going to do every single thing. Here's the question. Once you do that, how do you know that God has cleansed your heart? How do you know that your sin is forgiven? How do you know the guilt is gone? Because I can tell you something I've had people say to me many times before, and I promise you some of you would say, yeah, that's me. You confess your sin, you go to God, and you say, God, would you, would you renew me? You know, would you revive me for your glory? Would you renew me by your grace? Would you relieve me of my guilt? But you still don't feel forgiven. You still got that guilty conscience kind of nagging around, and you say, gosh, uh, you know, I do, and I, just, I don't know why, but I just can't seem to get rid of it. Well, how do you know that you're back on the right path? Well, let's listen to the last few stanzas of this song. Listen to what he says. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now, notice now this is important. David does not ask for his salvation to be restored because he never lost his salvation. David asked for the joy of his salvation to be restored. See, here's what happens. When you are a true believer in Jesus Christ and you really are a God follower, here's what happens. When a believer sins, here's what God does. He doesn't remove his salvation. What he does is, he removes the joy of his salvation. So when you sin, you, you don't lose your salvation, but you do lose a lot of fringe benefits. You, you kind of lose the package. I'm gonna prove this to you. The saddest, most miserable people I've ever met in my life, and I have met a lot of sad, miserable people. The saddest, most miserable people I have ever met in my life they're not atheists. They're not agnostic. They're not unbelievers. They're not people who have no faith. They're not people that don't go to church. By far and away, the saddest, most miserable people I have ever met in my life are followers of Jesus who are living in unconfessed, unforsaken, unforgiven sin. By far and away, the most miserable people. So why is that? Because I'm going to say something right now, and there are certain people, and they knew I'm talking to, that I want to hear this. I want you to listen to this clearly. If what I'm about to tell you is not true, I'm going to resign this church and go sell shoes because there's nothing else in this book that I believe. And I'm dead serious about it. Are you listening? And some of you out there right now need to hear what I'm about to say because your eternal destiny could be at stake. If you can live in sin and be happy, you are not a follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you cannot live in sin and be happy. Amen. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. Right. You can have your cake, but you can't eat it too. Right. So you're sleeping with someone you're not married to. You're sleeping good at night, sleep like a baby. You're not a follower of Jesus. You're sleeping with someone and you're married to someone else. You're sleeping okay at night. You're not a follower of Jesus. You got a temper you don't control and it doesn't even bother you anymore. You're not a follower of Jesus. If you know there's unconfessed, unforsaken, unforgiven sin in your life, 
and you're not sad and you're not unhappy, you're not miserable, you're not a follower of Jesus. I've, I've been married, as you know, 41, almost 41 and a half years now. I've been faithful to my wife for 41 years. And I've said this to many, many young pastors. If I were to ever be unfaithful to my Teresa and God did not immediately kill me, it would scare me and disappoint me. If I, and I know me, you wouldn't have to worry about me because if I ever did something like that, I wouldn't have to resign. I'd be jumping off Stone Mountain. I couldn't live with it. I couldn't live with me because I know I've got this Father beside me and I know I've got the Spirit inside of me and I know how I operate and I know how sin activates me and I know how the Spirit of God really convicts me and when I do something wrong and I sin, I'm telling you right now, I can't live with it very long because God will not let me. If you can live in sin and be happy, you're not a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot sin and be happy because think about it. You say, well, David was an adulterer. Yes, he was. And David was a murderer. Yes, he was. Well, how do you know David was saved? Because for a year, he even said, I was miserable. My sin was always before me. I'd wake up thinking about my sin. I'd go to bed thinking about my sin. I didn't enjoy my meals. I didn't enjoy anything because I was a child of God. David had been miserable living in the filth of sin and the misery of guilt. And here's why. Because instead of confessing his sin, he tried to cover his sin. And when you try to cover your sin, you're headed for sadness and unhappiness because everywhere that David went, the ghost of guilt follows him because here's what sin does. If your conscience is healthy and if your conscience is godly, sin glues guilt to your heart. That's why we need to say goodbye to guilt because sin beats you up and leaves you for dead. Forgiveness picks you up and restores you to health. Sin sinks you into guilt. Forgiveness showers you with grace. Sin puts a frown on your heart. Forgiveness puts a smile in your soul. Sin puts God on the outside. Forgiveness brings God on the inside. Sin will cost you everything and give you a guilty conscience. Forgiveness costs God everything but gives you a clean heart. That's why you can't have your cake and eat it too. Now, do you know what happens when you're restored to God's gladness? There, there are two things, there are two ways you can know. Man, I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm off the guilt trip. I know I don't ever need to feel guilt about what I've done anymore. I know God's wiped my record clean. I know God's blotted out my transgressions. I know I'm as clean as the driven snow. I know that. How do you know that? Because first of all, here's what David said. When that happens, number one, you will become a witness again. Now listen to what he says. Then, then he says, that is, after God's really taken care of me and after God's cleaned me up, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. So here's what sin does. Sin not only soils the soul, it seals the lips. If you're not walking with Jesus, you won't be talking for Jesus. When you know that your own testimony will condemn you, you plead the fifth. But when you're right with God and you're tight with God, 
you will walk with God and you'll talk for God. I, I saw a friend not long ago and uh, I was in his office. Before this friend of mine decided to go a different direction in his life, whenever I'd go into his office, he'd walk in talking about the Lord. I'd walk, I'd walk in and, and he would share scripture that he'd been reading. I was in his office not long ago and I walked out of his office. I was walking to my car and it hit me just like that. For the first time in years, he never mentioned the Lord one time to me. Never mentioned scripture one time to me, not once. I even asked him, you reading your Bible? No, I'm not. That's what happens. You let sin take over and you don't deal with it, lips are sealed. But when God forgives you and you're clean and you're right with God and you're walking with God, then you start talking for God. He said, you'll be a witness again. He says, number two, you'll become a worshiper again. Listen to what he says here. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. In other words, he says, when you're living in sin and you're swimming in guilt, you don't want to come to church. Or if you do come to church, your heart's not in it. You don't enjoy it. Because if you're living in sin and you're swimming in guilt and you're, you really do know God, you'll be miserable. You know what I've, I've learned? Let me tell you something. This is hilarious. It, this, it's, it's really great to see the way God will work. If you really know God, you're really a follower of Jesus, and you're living in sin, unconfessed, unforsaken, unforgiven sin, and you walk into this church, I can preach on tithing and you'll get convicted about your sin. It's amazing. Because God will not let you rest until that sin is taken care of. But when you're not, you won't read your Bible. You don't want to read your Bible because either the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. God will keep you from sin or your sin will keep you from God. Here's what happens. When guilt walks out of your heart and God walks into your heart, worship will fill your heart. Happens every single time. So let me just kind of deal with where we may be and we'll be finished. You, you might be saying to yourself right now, you know, I, I feel guilty because I am guilty. I, I'm abusing drugs and alcohol. I've had an abortion. I've cheated on my spouse or I'm cheating on my spouse. I've ruined my marriage. I'm living a lifestyle I know that's not pleasing to God. So how can I be sure that God will forgive me? How can I know that if I come to God and confess and come clean, that he will accept me and he will forgive me? All right, I'm gonna close with this. There are two things I know, two things that are you find all throughout the New Testament that absolutely guarantees you and guarantees me. Anytime you come to God and you confess your sin and you forsake your sin and you repent of your sin, there's absolutely two things you can know that guarantees God will forgive you. The cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. The cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Listen, Jesus did not come to planet earth and die on a cross and come back from the grave to make us better people. Jesus died on a cross and came back from the grave to make us forgiven people, to get us off of the guilt. Yeah, you can clap. To get us off the guilt trip. Jesus did not come to reject us. He came to release us. He came to renew us. He came to revive us. 
He came to restore us, and he came to receive us. The only sin, listen, the only sin that God cannot forgive is the sin of refusing to ask for his forgiveness. So, this is a beautiful song that David has written. It's gorgeous. It's one of the best songs. I've, I think it's probably one of his best sellers. I think it probably topped the top 40 charts for years. Casey Kasem would have loved this song. Because you know what this song tells us? And it's such an encouragement to me. James, I don't care what you've done. I already know what you've done. But I'm always willing to forgive. I'm always waiting to forgive. I'm always wanting to forgive. And you know what? When you're ready, you can say, Goodbye to guilt. Let's pray together.